0: This is Wessler Media. The following is a production of Wessler Media, distributed on the Evergreen Podcast Network, and it contains content that may not be suitable for all audiences.
1: The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station,
2: it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a the Rock and Roll City Stop for sure. do right? you like Stop. the The Wrath of the buzzer WMMS.
0: From Wessler Media, this is Profiles, a podcast about the people, places, ideas, and events that make Ohio. I'm your host, Vince Tornero. Welcome to the sixth and final episode of The Wrath of the Buzzard, our series that documents the rise and fall of WMMS, the iconic Cleveland FM rock station that proved to be one of the most influential radio stations of all time. So for the past five episodes, we've talked about the rise of WMMS how the station was born from the esoterica of underground freeform radio, how their take-no-prisoners attitude toward their competitors led them to become a powerhouse in Cleveland radio, and how their streak of breaking new acts helped them become a major national influence in the music industry. All their success culminating to their successful campaign in getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. But as we enter our final chapter, it's time to tell you about how it all came crashing down. This is the downfall of WMMS.
3: Hi, this is Rodney Dangerfield, and this is WMMS. I tell you, whenever I'm in town, believe me, I try to watch TV.
4: The downfall happened from within. I think one of the biggest tactical errors was when the radio station started playing. Michael Jackson. I did not think Michael Jackson belonged on that radio station at that time. Now, granted, I believe Michael Jackson is a hell of an artist. I mean, his music is incredible. And there were a lot of songs that uh, were played that uh, you wouldn't think would fit the um, formula for WMMS. But, you know, Michael Jackson was from the Jackson 5. They were teeny boppers. I thought that would be a big, big mistake. From Morning Show host Jeff
5: Kinsbach to Denny Sanders. People used to say, why are you playing Michael Jackson? Well, we always played Motown. What difference does it make? And besides, when Eddie Van Halen does one of the hottest set of guitar licks on Beat It that you've ever heard, why not? But, you know, it's, it was what I talked about before. You know, when you play some acts that are different, the initial audience doesn't like it, and then they eventually come around. So you to being a, when you're a leadership radio station, you have to put up with a few months of complaints. Remember, some people initially complained about David Bowie, Bruce Springsteen, and I recall the outcry when we first played Patti Smith, who was voted worst new artist and worst new album in the Plain Dealer Reader's Poll when she first came out. If we ever took some of the listeners' initial reactions seriously... We'd freeze the station's music in time and we'd stagnate the station, which would have been a big mistake. But the listeners always got over it. Patty ended up a big hit and eventually did great concert business in Cleveland. And I think that once they heard an adult Michael Jackson doing stuff with Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney, as well as the Eddie Van Halen guitar work on Beat It, they got past the image and started actually listening to the music. And besides, I'll point out that we had our highest ratings during that period from 1983 to 1986 with 12, 13, and 14 shares, which
4: no other Cleveland station has achieved since. I was on the front line. I was on the phones with people when they heard us playing Michael Jackson, and it was like, we don't want to hear fucking Michael Jackson.
1: (laughs) I was gone for a while, came back, turned to the buzzard, and thought, I was hearing things when I heard, like, Michael Jackson. <laughs> that night, my, my radio got hit by lightning. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, this is an omen.
4: You know, they were pissed. You know, they wanted, um, they wanted Leonard Skinner. They wanted Led Zeppelin. They wanted Pink Floyd. And I, I said, you know, unfortunately, uh, he's real popular, and there are people here who think we should play him.
0: 80s jock Diestein. It
1: was John who made the decision, and... Um, You know, you kind of look back at it now and think, look how many records Michael Jackson sold. So he was not wrong. It just was an unusual step at the time.
0: Here's John Gorman, operations manager from 71 to 86.
6: There was an opportunity to bring Michael Jackson to town. And this is when Michael Jackson was the biggest thing in the world. There's part of our audience that is going to say, we sold out. And I'm saying, we bought in. You couldn't pretend that Michael Jackson didn't exist. You couldn't pretend that Prince didn't exist. The deal to get the sponsorship for the Michael Jackson concert is you had to pay up front, and it had to be two dates. So we had to guarantee two sold-out dates at Cleveland Stadium, and then we get the sponsorship. Neither show sold out. It ended up costing us $200,000. Now, $200,000 on a station that's billing over $12 million isn't bad. And when Milt heard that we did this thing, he hit the ceiling. Not at me, but at Carl Hirsch. And he made life miserable for Carl. Carl resigned. And after Carl resigned, Milt wanted everybody to renounce Carl. I refused to do that. Carl was just one of the most brilliant people I ever worked with in my life. And uh, he gave me an incredible amount of freedom. In my right mind, I said, Carl was very good to this company. Carl was very good to me. I said, if it wasn't for Carl Hirsch, we wouldn't have what we have today. And he said, I'm sorry you feel that way. It It was really that that made me realize it's time for me to leave.
4: The end of WMMS started with playing Michael Jackson, and with the corporation not really understanding how local a radio station is, they brought in uh, national program directors. You know, they were just radio guys from other cities, and they were trying to put formulas in each and every city. And they, you know, if you had a formula that worked in Denver, well, maybe it would work in uh, maybe it worked in Cleveland. And that just wasn't the case because it is such a unique and local market. Here's my take.
5: MMS got very popular and very profitable. And Mallright Communications, Milt Maltz, which owned the station, took a lot of the uh, revenue that MMS was making and used it to expand the company. And then they decided that because they have all these cities, they need a national program director. They never had one before a head program director above all the other PDs. So they brought in this fellow named Jim Wood, a hack. And the first thing he did, astonishingly, is start to screw with WMMS. Here we had the number one station in town, number one billing. Everything was terrific. And because we were somewhat unorthodox, okay, by this time we were playing Michael Jackson and we were playing Prince and, you know, we were tossing in stuff like that. I remember Jim Woods saying, your format doesn't make any sense. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, you're playing Prince and Ozzy Osbourne on the same station. They don't belong on the same station. I said, listen, it works. Don't screw with success. He says, it's not supposed to, you're an AOR. You're not supposed to play Michael Jackson. You're not supposed to play Prince. You're not supposed to play Motown. You're not supposed to play the Ronettes. What are you doing? What kind of a station is this? I said it's WMMS. We were able to gain the audience's trust over the years. Okay? If you tried to start it up from scratch, it would never work. It had it's like the Beatles could have never happened if Eleanor Rigby was their first release. Because people would have said, "What is this? A string quartet? There's not even a drum in this thing." The Beatles Gained the audience's trust to the point where you could now add sitars and you could add a string quartet and you could add a harpsichord and you could add all these. And they trusted them. That was what MMS did. That's what I meant by you could never start this up again. And you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. And, uh, but he didn't listen. And uh, John and I talked and we agreed that they're going to they're ruin it. I knew that it didn't have to end this way. What choice did we have? Leo stayed for another year trying to keep the ship afloat, and then he quit. So the powers that be at that time didn't understand the unique musical profile of WMMS, and they decided that the station needed to fit into some kind of standardized form. So naturally, they did what most AOR stations did in those days— which was to downplay or even ignore the new emerging 80s acts, which we embraced, like Tears for Fears and Prince, Michael Jackson, NXS, and U2. And instead, they just kept banging on Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and Foghat. And John and I and others jumped ship because we knew this was a recipe for disaster. Because without the protection of new young bands and new sounds surrounding the classics, It would open the station up to a full frontal attack by a 100% classic rock station, which is exactly what happened. WNCX changed to a 100% classic rock format and blew WMMS away in the ratings in no time. And it happened to just about every AOR station in the country.
0: Denny, John, and others left in 1986 with Kid Leo following two years later. Here's Leo in a 1998 interview on the radio station.
3: Well, I'll tell you, I mean, there was a reason I left. I didn't just leave for this. Yeah, just there, sure. there was a reason. I, and uh, actually, I thought my time was up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to go out like Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> Not like Willie Mays. He tried to catch up to <laughs> too many fly balls. He had no business trying to. Radio's
7: big business now. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a business. Back then, when we were, we were talking about Leo earlier, uh, you know, when he started off here, you know, you were able to do your own thing. Uh, like mm. I said, I could equate it to like being a toy. You guys were fooling around with it, and mm. then you created it. Well, oh, we were yeah. lucky, yeah. We and, and, once, mm. and once it got to a certain point, The big wigs were like, "Eh, you know what, we'd like to take it back over now.
4: When uh, John left, Leo became program director. When he left, then that's when the
0: parade started. Ruby Cheeks, former on-air personality.
1: You know, it wasn't my intention to leave. Eventually, it did happen, and I ended up going to, uh, to Boston. If I had had my druthers, if I had had it my way, I would have stayed in Cleveland.
4: When we would have somebody leave... OK, who are you going to replace them with? And they found a guy who was from Jacksonville, Florida, to come in and be the program director. It was a disaster. Somebody should have either been promoted or somebody from this area in Northeast Ohio should have become the program director. And they they missed the boat on it. They did. That radio station was vital to Northeast Ohio. And they didn't take it serious enough. And it was tough being there and seeing those decisions made and just shaking your head, thinking, you know, these people are nuts.
0: Ed Flash Ferrets, former morning show host and newsman. The beginning of the end of MMS.
8: And John Gorman was there from 73 to 86. Kid Leo became the program director after that. And then he left in 88. He went to New York. It was right in that time period, and you heard about the Rolling Stone
0: Reader's Poll.
6: WMMS has won the Rolling Stone Radio Station of the Year Award in the annual magazine Reader's Poll.
0: You're listening to the radio station voted America's best. The The Rolling Stone Reader's Poll was an annual promotion where people from all over the country would vote for their favorite radio station in the U.S. In a story published by the Cleveland Plain Dealer in 1988, It was revealed that WMMS station employees had stuffed the ballot box for the 87 poll. Uh,
3: You know, you touched on the Rolling Stone poll, and that's interesting uh, because... When we started, and we did buy the Rolling Stones to fill in. This, this, mm-hmm. was, not a, this was not an election. Right. You know, this was not like you know you're stuffing uh, or doing something uh, on the electoral votes here. I mean, it was basically like an all-star game where you you know you do that yeah. constantly anyway. However, when they, when we first did it, I was like aghast. I was totally against it. Not because I'm such a you know uh, honor and principle. I just thought we could win without it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want any you know any kind of team entertaining. Tainting. Tainting. I said, I know we can do this without this stuff. We don't need this stuff. It was more pride yeah. than, uh, you know, principle.
8: The wheels started coming off the machine. They started coming off. And the fact that Jeff and Flash were so branded at that station so well, we coasted until 94. And in 92, Milt malt sold the station. But we had one owner that whole time until 92.
4: Milt was... You know, he was the real thing. He was a heck of an owner. He really was. And he treated me well. I, I, I enjoyed talking to him and everything. He was one of the first to put his money where his mouth was when it came to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think he put up $250,000. And he loved radio. Then he built a heck of a radio empire. He really did. He wasn't always correct about things. I questioned some of the decisions that uh, were made by some of the people under him, bringing in uh, people from out of town when uh, key members would leave the WMMS staff. So it, uh, you know, when we started to be bought and sold, it just slowly died. And, you know, we uh, could clearly see that, yeah, uh, things things were changing. The owners of Magic uh, bought us and uh, Made it very evident that um, on uh, April 15th, uh, 1994, most of the entire staff was going to be let go, including myself. We got to say goodbye and we got to say goodbye on our terms, pretty much so. I had already convinced myself that I was going to take a break from radio, that I was going to travel and do some other things and just kind of catch my breath. And I remember knowing that, um, some of the members like flash and uh, a couple other people were going to stay on with the new morning show. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I walked away, held my head high and thought, you know, I did my best. I uh, remember getting in the car. I didn't turn the radio on and, um, the drive was actually pretty good. I had a nice Corvette. And.
6: Uh, <laughs> Mulray fell into hard times. And, you know, part of the reason was WMS stopped being a successful station. Milt made a few bad moves and uh, he had a lot of turnover. A st- station that never had turnover was constantly having turnover. And he finally ended up selling all of his stations, all of his radio stations, to very Disney, Shamrock Broadcasting. Carl Hirsch who had left Carl Caldroy Disney and ended up buying WHK and WMMS. And so Carl ended up owning the station that he used to, used to be the president of. And I'm back as vice president operations manager. We were planning to change the station. The ratings were shot. We realized we had to do something else. And we also had to bring that whole original MMS appeal of making the air talent rock stars and that whole thing but we had to change the staff. I mean, there were some people on that air staff that were not gonna be able to do the new format. We had a couple of assistant engineers. We had one too many. Nonetheless, I had to interview everybody. So there was this one engineer. He wasn't really technically savvy. He didn't have that eye at a tiger that you want. He walks in and he has a buzzard tattooed to his arm. It was a moment of weakness. I can't tell them any longer have a job. I'll, we'll find a way to make him good. We'll surround them with the right people and all that.
9: My name is Bill Alford. Um, I was there from 88 to 94, and my job uh, description varied over the years. I started there um, part-time promotions, and then I had moved into a full-time position in the mailroom for a period of time, and then worked my way into engineering. Like most kids in the late 70s, I was a fan of the broadcasts. I have a buzzard tattoo on my arm that I got done in 94, so it was like I was a bit of a fan. I had no training in broadcast engineering or broadcasting at all when I got my job there. When uh, Omni America came in, John came back as program director. Carl Hirsch came in and he cleaned out all the people that were there. I think once all was said and done, I think we figured there was eight people that were left over. You know, John Gorman was, had, a, had a new plan, had a new idea, and I knew John's reputation from listening to the, these broadcasts. So I kind of at least thought I knew what he expected out of
0: his people. John is now back at WMMS, but album radio is not what it used to be in the 70s and 80s. Here's late-night personality BLF Bash. Rock
2: radio has kind of degenerated. It wasn't what it used to be. Talk radio started hitting good, you know, with uh, your limballs and your Sterns and your shock jocks and all that. The problem I had was the rock stations didn't know how to compete with them. The morning uh, people, not only at MMS, uh, but a lot of other places were kind of hamstrung because there was a lot of chatter going on instead of music. That's why these, uh, these people were having the success they were having. The rock and roll stations were handing it to them. And you played the right music, uh, you would have never heard of uh, these people. I will
7: tell you this. Um, I knew Howard Stern was going to be a handful i had seen him on his show his channel nine show and those were funny shows and this guy took no prisoners and uh i mean you, you know you couldn't come down because he cut himself down more than you ever could and i thought we're in trouble if this guy ever comes here to cleveland well they wanted to put him on mms but they had already invested so much in the buzzard morning zoo they said we're not going to do that they offered to put him on whk but he says i don't do am stations. Well, Stern came in. They put him on NCX, and wow, this was, you know, he was a
0: juggernaut. How are you going to stop Howard Stern? You can't stop Howard Stern. Eventually, it happened. Howard Stern became number one in Cleveland. To celebrate, Stern came to the city and held an event that he called a funeral for his competition.
6: And now
8: the moment you're ready for! to are for Howard Stern!
2: Everyone said... That we would not conquer Cleveland. That Cleveland was different. It was the same old story. W-M-M-S. Loves them.
5: You've abandoned them in droves. (laughs) Sit there with a friggin' buzzard. What are you, two-year-olds?
7: You don't want a friggin' buzzard. You want entertainment. John Gorman, he he thinks he owns this town, but he doesn't own us, Howard. All right. This is your last day in Cleveland.
9: For me, it was a pers- his, his attack was a personal thing, because he was attacking these people that had done so much for this community and for this city. And then you have this, this guy that comes in who, just because he wants to wants to be number one in town, will do anything and hurt anybody he can to, to accomplish that. And he was, he was really pissing on the legacy of what MMS had done and, and these people. Uh, at the station had done for all those years. So I was pissed off at him to begin with.
6: Bill Alfred came to me a few days before, and he says, I want to do something. I hate I, I, hate this Howard Stern. I want to do something. I said, Bill, let it lie. So what if Howard Stern has has a number one show? Of course he has a number one show. The whole world is talking about him. I don't want you to come to work, I don't want you to be anywhere around this radio station. If I see you, you're fired. And he promised, no, I won't go.
9: About four o'clock in the morning is about what time I got down there. It was at the strip club down in the uh, in the flats there, on the west bank of the flats. Uh, Tiffany's, I think they called it at the time. They were putting a stage, they had a stage in the front of the building. So I went down there to see what was going on and kind of check out like with security and how they were doing all this stuff. And um, it was kind of getting boring. So I, I didn't think anything, I was going to do anything. I just went back to the station to hang out there in promotions and see what was happening. I can't tell you what time we ended up going back down there. It was probably around seven or eight o'clock in the morning, I'm guessing. And we're walking around just trying to see what's going on. and. I had noticed that they had opened this side area next to the, on the left of Tiffany's. This was all a secure area where their lines and everything were going, coming in from the satellite truck. I had wire cutters in my pocket, which I normally did because I had other tools in my pocket as an engineer, and noticed that there was a line that looked familiar, a, a, a gray audio line was was looped in through behind this fence where the dumpster was. And it wasn't locked. I walked in there, and I'm like, well, what the hell? And I just snipped it and walked out. I, I was recognizable to everybody at NCX. They all knew who I was. And when the engineers come out and said, that's the guy from MMS, get him! And then the next thing I you know, I was in cuffs.
2: All right, listen to what's going on now. You're not going to believe this. So we're here broadcasting from a club, Tiffany's. Boom. Some guy, now they're saying it's a guy from the competing radio station, MMS, came over, cut the wire to our satellite truck. Well, Scott the engineer tells me they've arrested the guy who did it.
6: I'm listening like everybody else. And I'm sitting with my chief engineer, and we're listening to Howard Stern, and all of a sudden we hear, "We just got the MMS engineer." You know, MMS tried to sabotage us and all that. Well, I'm looking at my engineer. Said, so, "Wait a second, you're here." You know, uh, other engineers—they're all listening to him. The only guy is who's not there is Bill Alfred, who is given the day off and told not to come to work. Before the show ends, we find out that it was in fact Bill Alfred. He thought that he was going to be a hero.
9: I didn't think it was as serious as I realized eventually that it was. It was a third degree felony, uh, disruption of public service is what it was. And I think I was facing up to five years in prison.
0: Federal offense. Death penalty. Death penalty. Death penalty. Penalty. Death penalty. Death penalty.
9: I said to them while I was down there look, none of these people have anything to do with this this is all me you know and they thought I was covering for them but I wasn't I mean Gorman's a smart guy you know and and he wouldn't send me out to to, to commit a crime you know um but it, it was it was a mistake you know I was a I was a guy trying to I guess protect the legacy of the station and you know try to show that I was a team player I guess I I don't it's it's hard to really know all these years later exactly what my motivations were.
6: That was probably the worst day of my life because it makes it look like MMS did something bad. This is going to be a terrible mark on us.
9: It's an interesting story, but in some ways it, it takes away from really the glory of what MMS used to be.
0: Even without the Rolling Stone Reader's poll controversy, even without Howard Stern coming in and dominating the Cleveland market, the diminishing influence of WMMS in the 90s likely would have happened anyways. Changes in the law were made to increase the number of stations a company could own. This would ultimately change radio. Most would argue, not for the better. Here's Murray Saul again in an interview on Case Western University's WRUW.
2: Radio has become nothing but a cell, a block, a little cage. It's, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's like most of the retail outlets you go to the, anymore. They're all the same.
7: Clear Channel Media comes in, and they, after a while, they bought all the big stations. MMS' top rival was WMJI. They bought both of them. So the competition, obviously, was diminished, and competition breeds creativity, and it breeds great radio.
5: When the major operators in the late 90s started to take the music authority away from the local stations and just came up with a national playlist, they took their finger off the local pulse and uh, young people started drifting away from
0: radio because they weren't playing the right material. That's Denny Sanders. Here's early 70s jock Donna Halper.
1: When I was a professor back starting in 2008, I would ask my students, how many of you listen to radio? And a whole bunch of hands would go up. By now, fewer and fewer. I think that is such a shame and it didn't have to be like that.
8: The Telecommunications Act, which was signed I think in 1996, paved the way for one owner to own multiple stations. There was opportunities for companies to consolidate And then Wall Street got into it. And Wall Street, in my opinion, and I think you'd hear this from various people, was probably the death of it. Because in order to consolidate, you had owners that had to take on a huge amount of debt. What happened in 2000? You had the internet crash, followed by the financial market meltdown. So as a result, who did they take it out on? Talent. And that's when voice tracking started happening. And It's not the same anymore. It's not the same.
1: You start getting more of a focus on, we don't want to take any chances. We just want to play the hits only with album tracks. And this whole cookie cutter thing where we took it away from the DJs to the point where it was nothing but voice tracking, to the point where it was nothing but syndication. I think it kind of took away the heart and soul of what made album rock successful. I don't think it was a good idea, even if I understand why it was done. Having six giant conglomerates own most of the stations, doing away with live and local, doing away with those little touches.
5: The success that we had at WMMS was the fact that we programmed the radio station locally for Cleveland taste. Uh, we often went out to the clubs and heard what was being uh, presented and what was popular
1: radio does best when it's your best friend radio does best when it's in the market able to reach out to the audience so the telecommunications act kind of did away with the live and local and friendly radio that i grew up with it made tons of bucks for six giant conglomerates and left an awful lot of people much poorer in terms of their listening choices.
6: Everything got deregulated. Clear Channel bought up all these radio stations and they just basically syndicated everything. So it all became voice tracks. You could go to LA and listen to the radio. It sounds the same as it does in Baltimore.
0: No identity anymore. That killed it. Joel Frensdorf in sales. Here's Shelley Style, former music director.
1: You know, you have somebody like iHeartRadio that owns, I don't know, how many stations do they own now? Do they go out and find out what the people in their community want? I doubt it. That's why we were so successful. These radio stations that are all computerized and they're doing what corporate tells them to do, they don't reflect their community. You think that any one of those radio stations has any kind of ability to do what they want? There's no room for creativity in that business anymore. That business is is a shell of what it was. You know, it's been ruined. It's it's gone. It's never going to have its glory day again. And these companies just want to drain every ounce of blood out of you. You know, they're a bunch of vampires. They don't they're not there for the product. They're not there for the community. Sad. Never going to happen again.
3: Uh, I'm here on WMMS, Here to actually just say hi to everybody here in Cleveland. Uh this is Kid Leo back at you, along with uh oh of mine, Mr. Spaceman Scott. Leo, welcome back. Welcome back thank home. You, thank you. It is nice to be back here. I, th- I do have one question though. Yeah. It's it's an easy one. What the hell are you guys doing and what is this all about? You got thirty seconds to answer.
7: Uh we're getting rid of the buzzard. It's been great, 30 years, and that's why you're here.
3: So, uh, we'll get back to that subject, I'm sure, uh, somewhere along the course of line But you know what? Uh, time. Uh, we uh, are going to go to the phone lines now, though. Uh, we ask for phone calls. Leo, I can't
2: believe it's really you, and not just another snippet. i <laughs> a little older, but you know, I've been mm. listening to the station since '69, and you know, it's a damn shame it's going off the air. the
1: Buzzard is an icon. I mean, it it means a lot to a lot of people in this area. I've been listening to MMS since like the guy before in the 60s.
3: Let's go to, uh, this guy's name is Billy from Cleveland. Billy?
2: Oh, yeah, baby. You know who it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that Billy.
3: (laughs) Billy Bass.
2: You know, they called me and said they were burying the buzzard, and when I give them, uh, you know, clips and stuff like that, I said, hell no. (laughs) Bury the buzzard. I don't want anything to do with it. It's great to hear you on the radio again, dude.
3: And you know what, Cleveland's glad to hear you again. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're back uh, here and uh, and rocking the town like you always did. I mean, you were part and parcel of my growing up here, and we're still growing yeah, up. But we're you kids. know what?
2: It was the underground WMMS that I was a part of. The Buzzard—that's yeah. your thing. You guys made that successful. I really had nothing to do with that.
3: Well, you know what? You brought us up, though. That—that that is the truth. And you brought us up well, Billy.
2: Leo, it's so great to hear you back on the radio.
3: Thank you, Billy, and uh, we'll be talking very shortly. Okay, bye. I'll talk to you later. You. All right. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to uh, Denny in Cleveland. Okay, Denny.
2: Hey, you wouldn't sell me that Carmen Gia
5: you had. Oh, you
3: another one. This is the guy that's responsible for this whole thing because he had the, 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 the I don't know, was it balls or nerves or stupidity to hire me, <laughs> Denny Sanders.
5: I want to tell everybody uh, listening that Kid Leo once saved my life, and you know what happened? some guys were beating me up in the parking lot one night and kid leo stepped out of the shadows and said all right he's had enough <laughs> hey,
3: <you know? laughs> it's a good thing i had to end that what i was doing at that point in time <laughs> if i had another two beers you were dead <laughs>
5: listen i had an absolute ball following you all those years and i want to tell everybody this is a guy with a golden set of ears he could spot a hit a mile away and had a wonderful taste in music and Leo was responsible for so much of the great music that we played on MMS. I got to tell you, there probably wouldn't have been an MMS if it wasn't for uh, so much of Kid Leo's contributions there with the music and just with that great personality of his in the afternoon. Just wonderful kid.
3: Well, thank you, Danny. And uh, it's great hearing from you, and uh, it's good to see that you're doing uh, great things for Cleveland.
2: Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Take care of yourself now. All righty. See you later. See okay, you, Danny. Danny. Bye-bye.
0: In 1998, station owners announced they were changing formats, burying the buzzard, and even getting rid of the call letters. During its last few weeks on air, longtime listeners tuned into WMMS to listen to what they thought would be the final broadcast of the station. At the last minute, management reversed their decision, keeping the buzzard. Although the buzzard is still on the air today, it doesn't fly high as it once did. The station suffers from the same corporate influence as most stations do across the country. Still, WMMS will go down in history as one of the most important radio stations in music history. It's hard to say what things would look like without WMMS's influence. Would the Rock Hall have ended up in Cleveland? Maybe. Would an artist like Bowie have found stardom without Denny and Billy? Probably. But because of the buzzard, Cleveland got to it first. They had the chance to become fans before an artist even knew they had fans. They could learn every word to a new song before any other city even knew about it. An entire generation of Cleveland fell in love with music, not because of WMMS, but with WMMS. When all is said and done, a DJ at the buzzard was just one of you. They were simply your friend who couldn't wait to share with you their favorite albums. WMMS, wasn't just the top station in Cleveland, it was Cleveland. It embodied the heart and soul of a city during a time that it needed it most. And that is its legacy.
6: WMS was a very unique radio station with a very unique team and it definitely contributed to rock and roll. I'm very proud of it and I'm proud to share in the glory.
5: The run that we had was phenomenal. I still consider all the people my good, good friends. And, uh, you know, sadly we've lost some people. We lost Betty Corvin, Len Goldberg passed away, Murray Saul passed away. So we're losing some of the core members of the staff, but uh, just uh, sincere thanks to all the people who listened over those years. And I'm still amazed and grateful that People still remember the station. They still remember the people who were on. It's a great honor to be remembered.
4: It was a just a, the perfect time to be with a perfect group of people, creative and generous. Everybody was generous. And it was a pleasure working with all of them. It really was. And God, it was fun. It really, it was really a hell of a lot of fun. Great time to be young. I was blessed.
8: I'm on the elevator and somebody would tap me on the back and say, hey, thanks for uh, the great radio. It's, it's amazing. And uh, I just feel blessed that I was a part of a, of a machine that is definitely gonna be in the history books of rock and roll in Cleveland radio.
0: I'm just happy to be a part of, of something that people remember this long and timing is everything almost in life. And the timing we had of bringing everybody together and all the fans of the city of Cleveland catching on to what we were doing. They knew exactly what we were doing, and they did it with us.
1: It was like a giant club, and I'm glad that I was a part of this.
2: There was something we tapped into that really left a uh, impression on this market, something that some people might describe as a magical uh, element in there someplace, and that element was very simply, rock and roll. This has always been a town that loved rock and roll. We were rock and rollers from birth. I think that Cleveland, like a lot of the working people towns, you know, where people work hard and then on the weekends, they just let go. And, you know, music comes into their lives. I I think that's really, it's that simple.
1: It was the people's radio station. That, I think, is our legacy, is that we had such an enormous following. That doesn't exist anymore at any radio station. In Cleveland, they took care of you. They knew you. They knew what you liked. They were so proud of the Buzzard, you know? And yes, Detroit had WRIF, and Arthur Penhallow was our kid Leo. You know, everybody had their own, but ours was better.
6: WMMS will live in the minds and hearts of everybody that listened to it and grew up with it, sort of like big bands and Frank Sinatra to maybe your grandparents and my parents.
1: WMMS wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. It represented the lifestyle of the city and the city was behind us.
7: We were many things to many people. A lifestyle. We, you know, people grew up with MMS and they stayed with MMS from the '60s through the '90s. You'd listen in the car, you'd listen at work, you'd listen at home, and uh, it just—I think—it means something different to everybody, but it's also something meaningful for everybody. If these stories bring back any kind of memories, talk to the people, talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents. What's their legacy? What's their history? Because it's part of yours. I have never loved a
1: town more. Cleveland, I love you I always will my heart will always be in Cleveland and I miss all my buzzards and my friends in Northeast Ohio I wish everybody the best
4: Ooh, look out you rock and rollers. soon now you're gonna get older. Got my mind on the cruising with the
0: this season of profiles is titled The Wrath of the Buzzard and is a Westler media production. I'm Vince Tornero, host, executive producer, and interviewer, along with my dedicated producer and co-writer, Kevin Skubak. He edited, arranged, sound designed, and mixed this series. We're excited to announce we have some bonus content coming your way. In order to create this season, we worked through over 48 hours of interviewed radio station audio. Needless to say, there's a lot more to the story of WMMS than we had time for. So stay tuned to your podcast feeds for some great gems. Big thanks to all of our guests. Bill Alford, Billy Bass, Ruby Cheeks, Ed Flash Ferrance, Bill BLF Bash Freeman, Joel Friendsdorf, John Gorman, Donna Halper, David Helton, Jeff Kinsbach, Michael Olszewski, Denny Sanders, Dia Stein, David Sparrow, and Shelley Style. Special thanks to two guys, John Gorman and Michael Olszewski. They spent a lot of time with us and supplied much of the additional audio that you hear. Additional supporting audio also supplied by Denny Sanders, Joel Friendsdorf, Art Volo, and Matt Wardlaw. Additional production audio from Universal Music Group and SoundSnap. Want to thank Alex Bevin for the use of the Buzzard song. That's our closing tune. If you like, there's a few more ways we'd recommend that you learn more about this great radio station. John Gorman's book, The Buzzard, and Michael Shesky's two books, Cleveland Radio Tales and Radio Days. If you can help it, do not buy it off Amazon. Support a great Cleveland publisher, Grain Company, by using the link in the show notes. This season's podcast cover art is an original creation by the artist David Helton. He's got some great merch and buzzard shirts for sale. We've got links to those stores in the show notes, too. Time for some disclaimers. We are not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with 100.7 WMMS, its ownership, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Any audio, individuals, product names, logos, brands, and other trademarks or images featured on or referred to within this podcast or its website are the property of the respective trademark and copyright holders appearance on this podcast does not imply endorsement final notes if you haven't already leave us a five-star rating and share this podcast with a friend or family member for Westlore media i'm vince tornero thanks for listening and now it's time for me to punch out wash up and head home